With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Alex Smith lands in Washington. Kirk Cousins signs with the Vikings. We're talking all of the big free agency moves on Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin. This is Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Matthew Friedman, editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, the Oracle of Iowa himself. What's going on, Matt? The Oracle of Iowa. That's uh, that's nice. That's a good one. Uh, I demand that everyone call me that from now on. Uh, I'm doing well. That's good to hear. Well, it's going to be my mission. After we get off recording, I'm hitting the social media, making sure that everybody recognizes that is your new moniker. Yes. Now, we talked draft last week. The draft is behind us, and I think this is a point now where we get some more fantasy players getting ready for the upcoming season. So I think it makes sense that for those people out there that might be listening that are just getting caught up and for those of you that have been paying attention but now want to contextualize what rosters are going to look like after the draft that we talk about free agency. Now, I'm sure you know we'll go into some of these in further detail on future shows. There's going to be so much content up at Rotoviz, but I want to get a quick feel for player outlooks, kind of consider how incumbent players might be impacted. Uh, to me, the first big move was obviously Alex Smith getting traded to the Redskins. I thought this was a great move by Washington. It works out nicely for the Chiefs. So he was traded, sent to Washington in exchange for a third round pick and cornerback Kendall Fuller. As part of the trade, Smith agreed to an extension four years, 91 million with 71 guaranteed. So it's about 23 and a half million per season. What did you make of this move? Do you like it for Alex Smith? And from a fantasy perspective, what do you think the ramifications are on the players? around him i think it's nice for him that he finally finds a home i think it makes sense for the redskins and that they you know they were going to lose uh cousins in in some way um but they are giving a lot to alex smith and he's 34 uh so i mean they're investing a lot in a guy who potentially could be near the end and it's not as if he's had um He's had outlandish peak seasons that made you think that he was the reason he was performing so well. So I think a lot of his fantasy production last year, and I think he was, you know, like the number two quarterback, fantasy quarterback on the season. I think a lot of that production had to do with the players around him uh, and the way that they schemed things. And I don't know if we're going to be able to see that kind of scheme and success duplicated in Washington. In fact, I say I don't know. I, I should rephrase that. I feel strongly that we won't be able to see that kind of uh, production in Washington. So, you know, I think he goes back to being a, a streamable QB2 in a lot of leagues. Yeah, well, 
I thought that um, for from the perspective of the, of the Redskins, I really liked how they went out and they made this trade before free agency could happen. Granted, yes. they did pay a lot for him, but I thought it was nice how they made their move, got their quarterback before Smith, who they obviously liked, hit the open market or any of the other contracts came into play. So I thought that was good for them. And then in regard to Smith, I mean, there definitely is an element of his 2017 being somewhat of an out liar. Uh, naturally, he was awesome from a fantasy perspective, but he also addressed some of the criticisms that he'd had in the past, being the game manager, not taking shots deep downfield. And actually, uh, of all quarterbacks in the league, Smith took the most shots of 20 yards or more. Uh, and actually, if you look at different thresholds of ball travel distance, uh, he had some of the highest completion percentages. Of course, you could say, you know, depth of target, that belongs mostly to the receiver. So we got to see when he had the opportunity to play with a player like Tyreek Hill, he was kind of able to shift his game. I'm not too certain, though, that there's a player in, in Washington that's going to allow him to do that. So I'm kind of on the same page with you. I thought it was a great move for Washington. From a fantasy perspective, though, I don't know if I'm going to be expecting that same performance out of Smith uh, in the upcoming season. Yeah, one quick thing to add. I think it is possible that Doxon could be a deep ball threat that they rely on and maybe Paul Richardson. Like, there is potential mm-hmm. there. I just, you know, I don't know if we can see him with a different head coach with uh, no quarterback behind him pressuring him really duplicate uh, just in terms of the way that he was progressing the ball down the field, duplicate what he did last year. Yeah, and just to toss out some other names that are on that uh, wide receiver depth chart, you have Jamison Crowder, Brian Quick, Josh Doxon, Maurice Harris, Paul Richardson, who you mentioned, Robert Davis, and that tight end, naturally, you have Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis. Despite how good Reed can be when he plays healthy, in my mind, I'm still picturing Vernon Davis to be picking up a lot of the action there. So we'll see what happens for Smith, but the real beneficiary of this whole trade is in Kansas City. And that's Patrick Mahomes, a quarterback who we all know has an absolute cannon. Uh, A lot of people are really excited about Mahomes. Clearly, the Chiefs are drafted him, expecting him to step into that starter role. Played in one game last season, so we don't have a huge sample to work off of. Did you like Mahomes coming out? And what's your feel for how he will be able to function uh, in 2018? Oh yeah, Mahomes was great in the preseason. Granted, in Week 17, it's you know, you know different circumstances, so it's harder to interpret that. But still, playing on the road in Denver against a good secondary, you know, good defense there, uh, he looked really good. Uh, so there's a lot to like about what little we've seen from him in the NFL. And then as a college player, he was very productive. Uh, obviously, his athleticism is near elite in terms of his agility at his size, his ability to maneuver in the pocket. Uh, Also a very good runner. We saw him do that in college. I don't know if we can say he's a full-blown dual threat, but he's pretty close to it. He has a lot of scrambling ability. Uh, And then obviously the cannon of an arm. I don't know if that really matters all that much, (laughs) but it's something that is there. And it's not as if it's like, uh, oh, he's got such a strong arm, but he can't complete passes. He had good accuracy in college too. So I think you, you combine those two things and he looks like a very good quarterback. I think right away he is a QB1 because of his ability to run and because of the weapons he has around him. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, in my perspective, he's one of the more exciting guys that you're going to be able to get at the quarterback position this year. And like you said, if we do see some of that rushing coming into play, he is going to be a guy that you can start every week. And I think in my mind, I'm going to be fine even if he's the only quarterback that I get on my roster in the draft, see how weeks one, week two goes. If it doesn't look like, you know, he's going to be coming out of the gate swinging, I'll just add somebody else. But I think that he's going to be one of those popular guys to do that with. Hopefully his ADP doesn't rise up too much. I don't think that it necessarily will get too high, but definitely a name to look out for on draft day. And I'm sure that uh, there'll be a couple of pieces on him up at RotoViz this summer. Just want to quickly remind you to do yourself a favor. Go to the RotoViz podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Get a listener only 30% subscription to all of the premium NFL content and tools. Again, that's rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. So Alex Smith is 34, an even older quarterback. Drew Brees at 39 does something we all expected. Signs with the Saints, two-year contract, 50 mil, 27 guaranteed. I think if you are a New Orleans fan, you have to love this move. It's good for Brees, but it is worth noting that last year was the first time, at least since 2013, and I'm assuming a couple years prior, that he fell out of the top five with a points per game rank of 11, had been at 21 and 16, 21 and 15. So there was certainly a decline, still played, and that's looking at 15 games, which he has played in the last five seasons. So one of the major reasons for that was only 22 touchdowns, normally breezes in the 30s. Do you think he has the chance to boost that number up and kind of bounce back, or do you think that we've seen his best days? Uh, It's really interesting. From an efficiency standpoint, He was just as good last year as he had been in the five previous seasons. If you just put all those seasons together and look at what he did. Mm -hmm. Um, The big problem was that, so two things, he wasn't throwing as often. Uh, So just in terms of his raw attempts, he didn't have the attempts. 506 attempts last year, compare that to 623 the year before. Uh, On top of that, they weren't throwing, and you touched on this, they weren't throwing as much in the red zone as they had been. So he didn't get the yards, didn't get as many touchdowns, but from an efficiency perspective, he was still just as good as he had been. And really the, the problem is, and I say like problem in quotations, it's a good thing for the team, not so good for fantasy owners who want to rely on Breeze. But the, the problem for Breeze was twofold. One, the defense was playing much better so mm. that the team last year could rely a little more on the run. And then two, the run was better last year and the running backs were better last year than they had been in previous seasons with the addition of Alvin Kamara. So I think we're going to see something pretty similar to what we saw last year. I think the team doesn't want to rely or doesn't doesn't want to need to rely on Drew Brees to the extent that it has for the previous decade. So I think we're going to see a very good quarterback, a guy who can perform at a peak level when his team is down. I just don't think we're going to be in a situation for most of the games where he will be someone who has to throw the ball. Absolutely. I think we touched upon that last week that there has been some what of an identity shift in New Orleans and how that has manifested too into his fantasy production was 
last year, he did not have a single performance that went for 25 or more points. Uh, the years prior to that, he went five, four, four, five. So he normally does it about four and a half times. And that put him only finishing inside the top 12 of quarterback rankings on a weekly basis four times, which for Breeze was very low. So when you kind of put all of that, those points that we just talked about together, it definitely gives you some pause. Naturally, he's going to be a solid option, but I don't think that you'd put him in your tier one of quarterback rankings anymore. Uh, now, Cousins, I'm curious. We see Kirk Cousins landing in Minnesota, Matt. Three-year, $84 million deal. Uh, a lot was made out of this deal. A lot of good bonuses in there for him and guaranteed $84 million. So that three-year deal, fully guaranteed. Do you think he returns on that and is a Tier 1 quarterback? Yeah, I, I like his situation. Uh, people, you know, some people think he had something of a down year last year, but really he did in 2017 what he had kind of collectively done in 2015 and 2016, and he did it in much tougher circumstances with Terrell Pryor, you know, his kind of quote unquote number one wide receiver doing absolutely nothing. Josh Doxson really disappointing in that he didn't progress in his second season, losing 2,000 yard receivers from the previous season. Obviously, uh, his number one tight end, who really functions as the number one option in that offense, was out for much of the season. So despite all of those things, he last year was very much just a mid-range quarterback one, what he had been in previous seasons. And then now we're going to see him in Minnesota with fantastic weapons, maybe the, the best duo of wide receivers in the league. A good tight end. Uh, you know, if if the the running back comes back from injury, he will have a good receiving running back there. So I think there's a lot of benefit, a lot of upside with Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. Yeah, there for sure is. You have to love the cast around him. I always like to when you get a guy landing on a team that is going to be a contender and. I doubt that people realize just how good Cousins has been from a fantasy perspective. Over the last three seasons, he's finished inside the top 12 in 51% of the games that he's played in and has been top 24 in 80%. Uh, I don't have a number off the top or a player off the top of my head to compare those numbers to, but I can tell you that those are very, very competitive. And I think that Cousins continues this momentum. I don't think he's the type of player that I'm going to aggressively go after and draft earlier than he needs to be taken in rounds or reach on a quarterback, but I do expect good things out of Cousins. Did you think that Minnesota should have gone after him, or do you think that they would have been okay with Case Keenum, who ended up in Denver? Uh, not a fan of Keenum. No. I, I think it was a smart move to go after Cousins. You know, A guy like that comes along very rarely. Uh, and they had the ability to go get him with their cap space. I think it made a lot of sense. Yeah, me too. The, the biggest thing is, so Keenum, he was good last season. But let's keep in mind that he's going to be 30 this season. And up until this point, has never really been able to break through. Uh, this was really the first time that he got to display what he can do on the field. But again, that was one season. So I don't think we want to lose sight that just because he was strong last season, it's the type of thing that you can expect from him. Uh, so he ends up in Denver 
two-year contract, $36 million, 25 fully guaranteed. Uh, I don't think that he was necessarily Denver's first choice. They probably would have preferred Cousins had to settle on Keenum. As far as the players around him go, do you think that Keenum is a substantial upgrade than the lackluster quarterback play that they've seen the last couple of seasons? Uh, I mean, probably, but, but not, I mean, I think he's an upgrade, but not a certain upgrade and not, uh, maybe not significant enough Mm -hmm. to make a difference for the fact that, uh, I think things have gotten worse in the supporting cast. So I think in the end, it might be about a wash like Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders. They are now both, I mean, it makes sense for me to say this. Like it's a, it's a stupid statement, but they're one year older now. And like, being one year older now for them on the other side of 30 is much more meaningful than like, oh, they were 26 last year and now they're 27. Like it's, I think there are going to be significant declining issues with both of them. And then you have Cortland Sutton who has a lot of promise, but a, a rookie, uh, Carlos Henderson, uh, absent last year. So, you know, we, no, no running back there who's established, uh, no tight end who's established. I think it's there is a lot of potential for things to go very poorly in Denver, and they could end up with a top five pick again. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. When you look at the team around him, I don't think that there's going to be the guys to bail him out sometimes like we saw with Diggs and Thielen kind of making great plays after the catch or positioning themselves to allow Keenum to excel in the way that he did. And having dynamic running backs, although I do like Royce Freeman, certainly helped out Keenum as well. So I don't think that I'm unsold on him either. There were a couple other key uh, quarterback signings to note. Teddy Bridgewater goes to the Jets doesn't even look now like he's going to, I think it's possible he could even get cut. I'm hearing with Darnold there now. Before they drafted Darnold, did you have any optimism for Bridgewater? And, you know, do you see any hope for him now? Eh, not really. I mean, we'll just wait and see what happens, but it's he's not someone I'm investing in. Yeah, me either. You know, I was down on him to begin with too. So, you know, I... I I really don't see much left uh, in the tank for Bridgewater's career. Now, Sam Bradford, another player who, you know, I don't think there's too much of an outlook for. However, he does end up with the Cardinals, signed a one-year deal, $20 million contract. Now, I say I don't see too much for him just because we've seen his history of staying on the field to be so poor, and I don't think he's landing in a situation in Arizona like you might think it is. Offensive line isn't what it is. Really, Larry Fitzgerald's the only proven receiver on this team. Same thing at tight end. Obviously, David Johnson's fantastic, but I don't know if this is the best situation for Bradford. It's certainly a downgrade for Minnesota. No, I mean, I'd say good on him for doing basically nothing last year and getting, you know, a $20 million contract and they want him to be the starter. I mean, they, you know, they're paying him like a starter. I think they want to give Rosen the benefit of having a year on the bench. So I think that's fine. But just in terms of Bradford and his fantasy production, I think it's going to be very lackluster. Uh, and really the only guy, I think Fitzgerald will probably still get his volume. Um, but I think it's going to be a down season and and David Johnson, I think will get his volume too. But, you know, in previous years, we've seen a number two wide receiver, uh, you know, John Brown or JJ Nelson and spurts. We've seen someone Mm -hmm. else in that offense have the ability to produce, but I don't think that's going to be the case this year. Yeah. And Bradford last year was one of those guys who there was some hype of taking him late in redraft, making him your quarterback. I would caution 
against that this year. So we're on the same page there. I think that covers most of the important uh, quarterback signings. So we can probably move on to running back. First player there that I want to talk about is Carlos Hyde. Now we touched upon the fact that Nick Chubb got drafted to Cleveland last week. Carlos Hyde, with the way that this contract is structured, it looks like they have the option to kind of cut bait with him after the first year. What are your thoughts on Hyde and do you see any promise for him? I know we talked about this last week, but you know, could he play outplay Nick Chubb? I don't think so. I mean, it's possible that he outplays Nick Chubb early on in the season. And I mean, Chubb's a rookie and he never really showed much in college in terms of his receiving capability. That doesn't mean he can't do it. He just didn't do it. Uh, and Carlos Hyde, although he's been deficient at points as a, a blocker and as a route runner, he still last year had 57 receptions, you know, 84 targets. Like a team did look at him and think, you know, you know, for better or worse, we can give him 84 targets. Yep. So it is possible that even though Duke Johnson is there, Carlos Hyde can be something of a pseudo three down back and still get the majority of the workload in that backfield. Um, so I think he's someone who is investable, but I would feel very cautious about it, which means he's probably not going to end up on any of my teams. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting situation here because if you look at Hyde, the last two seasons on a points per game basis in PPR, he finished 12 and 13. So it's not like this is a guy who wasn't a serviceable fantasy asset. If you don't have Chubb going there, he still would have had to split the work with Johnson, which, you know, given the fact that last year, some of his production came in the receiving game would have limited him, but he might have been a decent option. But the cards are definitely stacked against him uh, when we look at that situation that he falls into. Surprisingly, last year he finished in the top 24 11 weeks uh, and was in the top 36 13. So I think it's a little bit disappointing for people out there that might have been hoping that, uh, you know, Hyde could overcome some of the pessimism of the situation in Cleveland. But it's not looking to me, at least, like, you know, there's really too much upside for him. Now, on the opposite side of the spectrum, we have Dion Lewis ending up in what looks like a good situation in Tennessee, signed for four years, $19.8 million. Uh, he will be 28 this season. We saw him produce in spurts with the Patriots when healthy and when given enough of a role in the offense. Do you like Lewis? How do you see that split playing out with him and Derrick Henry? <sighs> it's saddening because I really wanted Henry to be the guy. And I think Dion Lewis is going to play the quote unquote Dion Lewis role. Like I think he's going to be used basically the way that he was used with the Patriots. And that's fine. Um, but I think that might mean that he ends up overdrafted um, because I think people will just kind of be like, okay, he's someone whose name I recognize and he was productive last year. Um, but I think there's a difference between being Deion Lewis with Tom Brady as your quarterback and being Deion Lewis with the Tennessee Titans. So I, I think some of the things that normally go well for him, like a lot of the designed routes, getting some carries near the goal line, just some of those like peripheral things that help boost his his value and give him a higher floor. I don't think that those are going to be there with the Titans. Yeah, and he's a player too that uh, in 2017, 75 uh, of his points 
came in the red zone, which, you know, if he's not going to, that's a substantial portion. So if he's not able to control that in Tennessee, that could be an issue. I do think it's worth noting, though, for those of you that haven't got to see him play too much, he is a very capable rusher in between the tackles, can definitely go north and south. He's not all of the, you know, outside receiving screen type of game too. So he does have some potential there, but it is going to be a tough split and surely uh, disappointing for people that own Derrick Henry in Dynasty. Now, a play that you probably are going to like more is Jarek McKinnon, who lands in San Francisco. Looks like he is going to have an opportunity to really run away in that offense. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great spot for him. So, you know, he's in that Shanahan zone scheme. He's a fantastic athlete. He's proven that he does have pass catching capabilities. So they could use him as a three down guy if they want. He, he's not going to be the number one overall fantasy player next year, but he has that upside. Like he literally does have 2000 yard upside. Um, so, you know, we'll see. He's he's going to be too high to draft. Like his his hype is going to to get out of control. Um, so he probably won't end up on some of my teams by the time uh, like full on draft season comes around. But yeah, his upside is number one overall, and I think he's a locked in running back one. Yeah, well, we just talked about Carlos Hyde, who on a point per game basis was doing very well, as I said, finishing 12 and 13 and 16 and 17 respectively. So if McKinnon can use that athleticism to produce, and also I think that San Francisco offense is going to make a couple strides in 2018. He definitely has a lot of upside, also has some big game potential. 14% of his receptions last season went for uh, 20 or more yards. So he's one of those players, you get him a couple of good looks, he can give you a big outing. So I'm definitely with you there. The real question, like you alluded to, is how high does McKinnon's ADP go? I'm kind of seeing it, in my opinion, as being a round two type of guy in redraft. Do you agree? Yeah, if he's round two in redraft, I would be interested in acquiring him. I think at some point he ends up being in the first round. Wow. You know, it's crazy how quickly things can change. Uh, you know, you make that one move to the right team and all of a sudden the guy's a potential first rounder. Now, a man who is not a first rounder is Isaiah Crowell, who lands with the New York Jets. Crowell has been an interesting player. I feel like I've always wanted him to break out. I always thought that he has good potential. It just doesn't really seem to manifest. And I don't think that it's going to come to fruition with the Jets. Do you see any chance for him uh, in New York? I mean, I think there's the chance that he gets, you know, like a thousand ish scrimmage yards, which is, you know, kind of like close to what he's done just on average the last two seasons. Um, But I don't know if, you know, we're going to see like a proliferation of touchdowns. I think it will be somewhere in like the four to eight range. So it's like, yeah, that's okay. I think that basically means he's going to be in New York pretty much what he was with the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I I think that that certainly seems uh, feasible. There's just not a lot. I'm looking through some of his stats right now, and I'm trying to find anything to give me hope for him. But I think that this is a guy that is you know going to be one of those players has a couple of good weeks, but certainly nothing to be excited about. Uh, now, 
a player that I do think that there could be some optimism for, although it comes uh, at the detriment of Christian McCaffrey, is CJ Anderson ending up in Carolina. How did you feel about this landing spot for him and what's the impact on McCaffrey? Oh, I mean, I think it it's interesting. I never thought McCaffrey was going to be a full-on lead back. So I was kind of surprised that the Panthers didn't draft a running back. And so uh, I guess it's not surprising that CJ Anderson ended up there. They needed someone to fill that, you know, kind of quote-unquote Jonathan Stewart role. And CJ Anderson at this point is a very Jonathan Stewart-esque type of runner. You know, he's that, you know, good plotter of, you know, for first and second downs. I think, uh, you know, Chris McCaffrey for like a hot minute was going in the first round because people (laughs) thought he was going to be a lead back. Now he's back to sort of like that second, third round range where he belongs. And that's fine. I think he will basically be a fairly inefficient runner who has a lot of target potential. So, you know, basically kind of old school Reggie Bush. I think that's fine. Yeah, I do too. You know, I I see that some people that own McCaffrey were bummed out about it, but I think that if it's if it's a guy like CJ Anderson arriving there, you can feel okay with that because He's not going to light the world on fire with the rushing. That's still going to leave the opportunities for McCaffrey in the passing game. And it's pretty much guaranteed that, you know, he's not going to eat into any of his receiving work. So all things considered for McCaffrey owners, I wouldn't be too worried. You know, you got good production last year when they had Jonathan Stewart. This is maybe a little bit of an upgrade, but it's nothing to be too concerned about. And I do think that CJ Anderson has some potential to be relevant But, you know, with that split with McCaffrey, clearly McCaffrey is going to accrue a lot more of the points there from the running back position. You on board with that? Yeah, I mean, McCaffrey, I think, is basically the number one receiver in that offense. And then the value that Anderson will have is the value that uh, Stewart had last year when he was falling into the end zone. So if that happens for CJ Anderson, he will have some splash weeks. But McCaffrey is, I think, because of the the high floor that he has with the receiving workload he's going to get, he's a pretty locked in guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I'm I'm totally good with McCaffrey. Anderson is someone I don't really want on my team, but uh, you know, there are worse guys you could have for best ball because he will score a decent number of touchdowns. Certainly. Now I'm interested in the, that comment that you made about McCaffrey. Um, do you think, looking at that roster this year? I have to assume Devin Funches out-targets him, but then McCaffrey slates in at number two. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be surprising, though, if um, it really... Okay, so Funches should, and I, I use should loosely there, but Funches should have more targets than McCaffrey, but McCaffrey will have more receptions. Okay, I, I can get on board with that. Uh, I'm having trouble talking myself down on Funches um, in my historical wide receiver projections for 2018, which will come out at some point. Funches absolutely killed it. Um, And as a former Funches owner in Dynasty, I'm having trouble getting over the idea that I don't have him now and just having this bad picture in my mind of him exploding, which I don't actually think is going to happen. But nonetheless, an interesting uh, paradigm there with Anderson getting added to the team, McCaffrey in the backfield, and then Funches looking like he could potentially have a real strong season truly playing that number one role in the wide receiver core. 
So before we move on, I just want to remind everybody about our friends at the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. For most people, it's the off-season, but not for the FFPC. If you're ready to draft now, the FFPC. PC Best Ball Leagues are drafting daily with entry fees starting at just $35. They have both slow and live drafts. If you like Dynasty, the FFPC has almost 200 active Dynasty leagues with entry fees starting at $77 going up to $2,500. And what's really incredible is not a single Dynasty league has folded in eight years. New Dynasty leagues are forming right now with startup drafts launching I'm actually going to be in a uh, startup on Saturday, which I'm really excited about. So there's a lot of leagues that you can get into. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Just want to round off on the running backs real quick here. So Rex Burkhead re-signs with the Patriots. Jeremy Hill goes to New England. We talked about Sony Michelle last week. Real crowded backfield there. For me, Michelle is a guy that I can see as certainly being rosterable. I think Burkhead's fantasy outlook took a hit. He would still be a guy I'd be interested in on later rounds. Do you think that they're the only two backs worth considering for fantasy in 2018? In New England? Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, would it be surprising if somehow James White still ends up being like the guy who's most productive out of that backfield? Like it it could happen somehow. You just never know with that team. So I'm just I'm totally staying away. Like if you look at the depth chart um, at uh, Roto World, there's Michelle Burkhead, White, Gillisley, and then Bolden. Jeremy Hill isn't even list like he's like the sixth running back on the depth chart. Like I'm just totally yeah. staying away. And the thing, too, is Bolden is going to always be on that roster for special yeah. teams. A lot of the yeah. other guys could easily fall off. I'm with you. This is a backfield that I always just try to avoid. The reason being, not that it isn't a great place to be, but every season, they're leading uh, running back in terms of number of weeks that they led the team in fantasy points. Like the most they ever get to is six. There was one season where LeGarrette Blunt, I think, got somewhere between eight and 10. But even if you have the best option in that offense, on a week-to-week basis, you don't have a guarantee that he's going to accrue the most points. So it's a real dicey situation to put yourself in. Uh, the other signing that I did want to talk about, not a very exciting one is Doug Martin goes to Oakland. John Gruden's looking to resurrect the 1990s ground and pound. It's a loaded backfield now with mediocre talent. You have Marshawn Lynch, Jalen Richard, DeAndre Washington. Any of those guys worth looking at? I don't really see a huge amount of potential for any of them. No, it's it's pretty boring. Uh, I used to like DeAndre Washington, but I think uh, that window of opportunity has closed. Yeah, and Martin not going to be a guy, for me at least, even in the later rounds that I'm going to go after. I just don't think we've seen enough there. And Marshall and Lynch at this point, too, I feel, you know, will be coming off of your bench. Maybe usable here and there, but I think it's going to be a tough offense to figure out. LeGarrette Blunt, though, lands in Detroit. He is going to be playing alongside Theo Riddick, but of course, for a player like Blunt, that's fine. Hoping to get those red zone touchdowns. Of course, they did add Carryon Johnson in the draft. Do you think that Blunt is still going to have fantasy value? Yeah, I think he's going to be used very much the way that he has been the last couple of years. 
Uh, so I think he, you know, especially when the team is ahead, he will be getting those third and those fourth quarter touches, some of the goal line work. So, you know, I think he's usable, but I think he has, um, I, I think he's a wide range outcome type of guy, like within his range of outcome in any game, he has the possibility to get two touchdowns. He also has the possibility to have only five carries and no targets. So like a wide range guy. Yeah, definitely a better best all uh best ball option I think. Um given, you know, the ability to just get those red uh, those red zone carries and I think Detroit's a team that will at least have a couple of weeks where they should be able to get him a fair amount of opportunity. Uh I don't really think there was any other huge running back signings unless uh, anything comes to mind, but if not, we will move on to wide receiver. Allen Robinson signs a three-year deal, probably the most exciting receiver signing, at least in my perspective, goes to Chicago, uh, a team that is really looking to revamp that offense. 2017 got cut short for him, so we don't have too much information there. Of course, we all remember his 2015 season where he was just phenomenal. Uh, your thoughts on Allen Robinson going to Chicago? Are you buying into the hype that a lot of people out there believe he has? I mean, we'll just have to see how he looks coming off of the ACL tear. I mean, that's never a easy thing for a receiver to recover from. The good thing is that uh, although Allen Robinson did have good athleticism entering the league, I never really thought of him as a guy who relied solely upon his athleticism to be productive. Mm-hmm. I thought he was very good at using his body in a physical way to uh, you know to make catches. So I think there's a, a definite potential there with him. Uh, I think the real question is just how is uh, how is Trubisky going to develop in his second year as a quarterback, and how is the offense going to be schemed? Uh, you know, are they going to look to really spread the ball around? Uh, you know, is Trey Burton going to be functioning as sort of like, uh, you know, a, a big bodied slot receiver who soaks up too many targets? How much, uh, you know, how much is going to go to Anthony Miller? Do they, you know, scheme some gadget plays for Taylor Gabriel? Like all of these little things that could take away targets from Allen Robinson. So I think it's just a question of targets and we really, we have no idea yet because we just, we haven't seen Trubisky really flood a a receiver with targets and we haven't seen this offense uh, before with this combination of coach and coordinator. So it's just, we, we really don't know. But there's a lot of upside. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the one thing that concerns me is this team's going to have to start uh, airing it out a lot more, which with it, it's cast of characters last year, Kendall Wright, Josh Bellamy, Adam Shaheen, Deion Sims, Deontay Thomas. It's not surprising that they didn't pass it that much. Uh, Wright led the team with 83 targets, but only 707 air yards. So in total, I don't think that this team had as many air yards as guys like DeAndre Hopkins and Antonio Brown uh, when you combine them all. So I do think that is a little concerning and it does come down to when we see Trubisky increasing that workload, how is he going to respond to it? Uh, you know, talented player in Allen Robinson. I don't think you could expect anything like we saw in 2015 when he had the the um, 14 touchdowns. 12 of those came in the red zone. He was catching a touchdown every 10 passes. That's not something that you could expect. Um, you know, I would say like a high number for him for touchdowns this season might be... I don't know if you expect like nine or 10, that would be a really good outcome. Uh, If you were putting him into a tier though, 
Do you think that he gets up with the likes of maybe like a Tyreek Hill? You have him up there, maybe even higher? No, for me, Tyreek Hill is higher. I think uh, Hill will, will have more volume. Gotcha. Um, I'm kind of with you there. Uh, as the way things currently stand, I actually have him in my tier four of wide receivers. So I'm not buying in quite as much as other people, especially um, because I just need to see how this offense functions in the coming season. Now, Sammy Watkins, a player that historically I have been down on, winds up in a solid situation going to Kansas City. He's going to be a part of a very potent offense. Obviously, they have Hunt in the backfield. Travis Kelsey at tight end. Tyreek Hill, who we just talked about, is there enough of an opportunity for Watkins? And is he better than I think? Should I be assuming good things from him or just kind of more of that uh, wide receiver four type of outlook? I mean, I think he's better than his performance has indicated. I think he had a, a really nice start to his career. But I think at this point, he's going to be a fairly supplementary weapon. Um, you know, as basically used in a, a more glorified manner, uh, to what we saw out of him last season. But I think he's going to be behind Tyreek Hill. He's going to be behind Travis Kelsey. And it really wouldn't be surprising. I mean, he will be, uh, he will out target the running back that they have there, but it wouldn't be surprising to see Hunt have more receptions by the time the season is over. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think at best we're looking at a guy who is like the number three option in the passing game. Absolutely. And when you look at uh, how the team fared last season, so Albert Wilson slated in at number three in the passing game with 51 targets, uh, only 400 yards. Air yards were low as well, around 328. I think it's fair to assume that uh, Watkins should see more than that. But I feel like it's going to be hard to see him get above that 65, 70 target threshold, which is just not enough to really sustain a receiver in a manner that you should be getting getting excited about uh what would yeah, you say I mean, I mean yeah one, go ahead. Sorry, sorry one quick thing i think maybe the proper way to think of Watkins and tyree kill is sort of like the the throwback to like jeremy macklin and deshaun jackson in philadelphia but then think of them as having like travis kelsey there uh instead of brent Selleck. you know what i mean like so like i think players who are kind of similar like might be used in the same like functional ways mm-hmm. but with just a much better tight end in the middle of the field who will soak up so many more targets. Yeah, I, gosh, you know, with Kelsey controlling so much of the offense, and I think he's still largely going to be the focal point. You look at the things that Tyreek Hill can do. It's just kind of like, where does Watkins differentiate himself and I'm just not seeing it. So I think we're on the same page there. Certainly a guy that you can round out your receiving core with, but I wouldn't get too excited about this move. So that was a player that I'm not a huge fan of. Now, a guy that I historically have loved, even though he's been largely maligned in the fantasy community, is Jarvis Landry. Signs with Cleveland, five-year, $75.5 million contract. They clearly feel good about him. For all of the naysaying that you'll hear about Landry and his style of play... From a fantasy perspective, he has been really solid. Position ranks 10, 16, and 8 in total points over the last three seasons. Type of guy that's finishing in the top 24 at the position in over half of the games that he plays. And in 75% of weeks is a wide receiver three or better. From my perspective, 
I don't know exactly how to feel about him arriving in Cleveland. We're not exactly sure what the quarterback situation is going to look like over the season. Of course, there's other talented guys there. They have Josh Gordon. They may have Corey Coleman, although it looks like the team would be open to trading him. David Njoku at tight end. Jeff Janis is even on the roster. Duke Johnson out of the backfield. You know, there's a lot of moving parts to this offense. And will they use Landry in that style that he saw in Miami that made him such a good receiver? I don't know. Do you have a feel for it? I still think of Josh Gordon as the number one receiver, although uh, it is possible that they're more of a, you know, a one and one a type of situation. But I think Gordon is clearly the more talented player. Uh, that won't necessarily translate to target volume, mm-hmm. though. Um, but I still think Landry is not going to get the volume that he's had in previous seasons. Last year, 151, uh, 119 the year before that, but 155 in his breakout, you know, quote unquote, breakout second season. Um, I think we are going to see him in more of the 120 mm-hmm. range, maybe 130. Um, and so, I mean, that's fairly significant. And also, the question is. Will the well? I don't think the quarterback play is going to be much worse than what he saw right. in, in in Miami. So that's probably a wash. There is the upside that that the quarterback play could be better. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I think we're going to see a somewhat diminished version of Jarvis Landry this year. Yeah, you know, a couple other key things to note there too that last season and in 2015, which was another great season for him, uh, he saw 23 red zone targets that season, 24 red zone targets in 2017. So he was getting some quality looks. I'm not so sure that in this Browns offense, we're going to see him getting that portion of looks. The one good thing that you could point to is in last season, for example, 126 of his targets came within 10 or fewer yards. You know, so perhaps if Mayfield does take over and they're working on getting him into the offense, you know, he's the type of player that they would want to use to help out that rookie. Uh, of course, you know, that's all conjecture at this point. I still feel, though, like Landry has to be a guy that still deserves to be taken, um, you know, maybe even as soon as your wide receiver, too. You agree with that or would you feel, you know, a little iffy about having him as the second uh, receiver on your team? Yeah, I think that's fine. It might just kind of depend on what you're doing in those those early rounds um, and whether you want kind of whether you're shooting for the high high ish floor of Jarvis Landry or whether you're looking for more of the upside play. Yep. So I think time will tell right there some interesting um, options all over in that receiving game. And if Corey Coleman does uh, get moved off of the team, that might create an interesting situation that we'll be talking about later on. A couple other things that we saw, there were some moves made. Uh, Terrell Pryor going to the Jets. Terrell Pryor, you touched upon this earlier, was just abysmal last season, could not assimilate into that offense in Washington. There are some other names in New York, Robbie Anderson, Jermaine Curse, Austin Safarian Jenkins will be leaving though. Does that open up a role for Pryor to carve out? And do you think that uh, he really does have the ability or was that just a situation in Cleveland that was a bit of a fluke? Uh, I, I think a, a lot of it was situation dependent. He was really force fed the ball and that they had no other real options there. 
Uh, I think Robbie Anderson is a very undervalued receiver. I don't think too highly of Jermaine Curse, but it seems that the Jets like him. And then Quincy Inunua uh, potentially returning. I'm not sure what his injury situation is, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think we're going to see much out of Pryor. I'm not, I'm not counting on much. Yeah, I think in terms of the team, at best, he's going to be their third option, which again probably puts him pretty low in the targets. And from a fantasy perspective, I don't think that he's a guy that you really even want to draft in the late rounds just because the upside really isn't there. Now, Jordan Matthews was a player that we saw prove himself early on in his career. Last season was a wash. Fortunately, he gets out of Buffalo, ends up in a great situation in New England. Uh, Fun fact, he had 225 catches out of the slot in his first three seasons. Do you think that role is available in this packed Patriots aerial attack with Rob Gronkowski there, Chris Hogan, Julian Edelman returning, but also Brandon Cooks and Danny Amendola vacating. A lot of moving parts there. What's your outlook? Yeah, it's possible. I think a big question is uh, the the return and progression of Malcolm Mitchell. Uh, if he does what I think they wanted him to do when they drafted him, I think that will probably move uh, that will move Matthews to the bench. Um, because I don't think Patterson is going to do much as a receiver. I don't mm-hmm. think Dorsett is going to do much in the same with Britt. Yeah. So I think a lot of it just comes down to Mitchell. If Mitchell really can't produce, then I think Jordan Matthews does have, he does have an opportunity, but I think he will be better as a, you know, quote unquote, like real life football player yep. in, instead of a fantasy football player. Yeah, I'm on board with that take. Uh, it's kind of like the opposite of prior. He's a guy that I might add later on in the draft uh, because there is some upside. There's some potential, especially if there was an injury to Julian Edelman or if Edelman's not able to get back to the quality of play that he was at before he suffered that injury last year. But though it's a guy that produced earlier in his career, ends up in New England, I just don't think that uh, there really is going to be a role for him that he can carve out that will be substantial enough for him to be deserving of a higher draft pick. Cause I'm sure there are going to be people out there that singularly because he's in new England are going to want to overdraft him. So I would watch out for that. Paul Richardson uh, finds himself in an interesting situation with the Redskins. Richardson's a guy that I actually uh, was fairly impressed by last season. What do you think your outlook for him is in 2018? Yeah, I like him. I think he's he's sneaky because he really could be the number one receiver on that team. Uh, and it is an offense that has supported some pretty good production in the past. Richardson was a phenomenally productive player in college. He has good athleticism, obviously was injured in 2015. But, out, you know, based on what we saw out of him last year, it seems as if he has returned from that injury. And he had some highlight reel type of catches. And, like, you know, I don't want to, like, base too many of my decisions uh, on what I've seen on, you know, like YouTube and NFL.com when I'm watching highlights. But he, I think, is a, a guy who can move around the formation and they can do a lot with him and there again it's just really no one else proven on the depth chart that can keep him from that number one role yeah and I I do think he was more efficient last season than you could expect so you know you got to be careful if you're extrapolating his numbers on the targets as he uh, was catching a touchdown every 13 targets but still a guy that uh, I think can perform well enough to beat out the other players you look at how they did last year in the receiving court Jamison Crowder led the team with 96 targets followed by Ryan 
Grant at 60, Vernon Davis at 65, Josh Doxson at 68. Doxson is a, Doxson is a player I still don't want to lose hope on. Uh, but there's certainly room for Richardson at the very least to be a wide receiver three, wide receiver four from a fantasy perspective. Now, Michael Crabtree has been really, really solid uh, the last couple of seasons, eight touchdowns in the last three years. Of course, he's 31, but he heads into a team in Baltimore that was really struggling in the passing game last year. They brought in John Brown, Willie Sneed, Brashad Perriman, I think at the time is still there. Crabtree, the clear number one here. Am I wrong in that? I think he's the clear number one. Uh, I think they're going to use him very much the way that he has been used previously with the Raiders. Uh, so, you know, I think there's a lot of potential there with him as a high floor guy. Um, we're probably not going to see too many top 12 type of weeks, but I think he's going to get the volume. Gotcha. So if you have to set the over under for Crabtree of where he's going to finish uh, at the wide receiver position on a points per game basis, where would you set it? Points per game basis. uh I'm somewhere in the wide receiver two range. So I'd say like around maybe like number 20. Really? Okay. I was going to say like closer to 36. I just don't feel that good about this Uh situation. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time that Joe Flacco really supported or that offense really supported a solid uh, option? Maybe there is one, but I'm having trouble recalling. It might've been Mike Wallace, right? Uh, Yeah. I mean, Steve Smith was fine there when he was healthy. And the thing is, I think a lot of Flacco's uh, issues last year had to do with the back injury and just not being healthy. And then, and then just not having, you know, uh, wide receivers that were that good. And it's not to say that Crabtree is that good, but he's coming in. uh, Wasn't, when was Macklin traded to the team? Like it was, it was like during the preseason, yeah, right? Yeah. Like it, the, he didn't have like the full off season really to integrate into the offense. So I think it's a better situation now with Crabtree and then it will be a better situation with Flacco and that like he has, he has time to heal from the back injury. He just, he never really should have uh, been playing, I think to start the season. So I, I think it's just a better situation all the way around right now. All right. I'll accept that. I can understand that point, but uh, I was really disappointed because Crabtree was one of those guys that I loved uh, getting as my fourth wide receiver. He always seemed to fall, but was, you know, still really producing, really performing well. So I, I mean, know. you'll probably you'll probably be right. I'll look back and be like, number 20? Like, what was I thinking? But I, I think he does have sort of low-end uh, wide receiver two potential. Okay, that that's fair. That's fair. Now, another quarterback that I don't think is that good, but on the flip side has supported decent fantasy production is Blake Bortles in Jacksonville. <laughs> Some switch-ups in that receiving core. We saw uh, Keelan Cole come on late last season. D.D. Uh, Westbrook as well. They bring in Dante Moncrief. They keep Marquise Lee. Allen Robinson leaves. Who do you see as the number one in this offense? DJ Shark, too. Uh, Shark, they, they uh, took in the draft. So it's like there's a number of names there. Who are the guys that are going to emerge and be fantasy viable? I got to be honest, as of right now, I really don't have any idea. No, I mean, I think Lee is going to be the guy who gets the most uh, in terms of targets. Mm-hmm. Uh, Westbrook is the guy who I think has the highest ceiling in that um, I think he can have those peak weeks just because of his his 
deep speed. Like it wouldn't be surprising if one week it's like, oh, D.D. Westbrook had 120 yards and two touchdowns on four targets. Yeah, you know, like something like that is possible. But I don't know if if Westbrook will develop into the type of consistent guy that you want to have on your on your fantasy team. Um, so I guess Lee is probably the guy who will get the most targets, but he doesn't excite me. No one on this team excites me. <laughs> Yeah, I guess when you frame it like that, it does make sense that it's going to be Lee. I'm not excited about Moncrief. I'm going to keep out hope for Westbrook and Cole. But the piece that I didn't mention prior was that ASJ, Austin Safarian Jenkins, who kind of got his life back together last season, performed well in New York, is now in Jacksonville. And Niles Paul is uh, his backup, a player that has had some interesting points as well. So not that I think he's going to get involved. It's just that when I look at this depth chart, I have trouble teasing out where this team is going to choose to go. So I guess it looks like Marquise Lee. But to get back to ASJ, in terms of tight ends, you think that uh, he's the type of guy that you could roll with as your first option uh, on your, you know, like a redraft <laughs> roster at tight end? I mean, I mean uh, yeah, I, if he's my first option, well, it just depends on the league. If it's a best ball league and he's my first option, I'm going back to the well very quickly after that and hoping to get, you know, like two other guys who, uh, you know, might be ASJ-esque in terms of like the tier so that I'm not having him as just like the guy I'm really counting on. If it's a... Um, if it's a standard redraft league where you're, you know, you're picking your lineup each week, I really don't want to count on ASJ. I, I am with you there. I'd like to get excited about it, but too much uncertainty does not seem like the type of situation that you can bank on. And there are some other guys that I feel better about. Before we mention some of them, though, I do want to remind you that you can support the pod by subscribing to and rating the Rotoviz Radio channel on iTunes. Do that and you'll be eligible to win a free $35 entry to a league at the FFPC. Go to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it, listen to future episodes. If you hear your name, you're the winner. And also, if you're interested in being in an FFPC league with some of the Rotoviz writers and podcasters, email us at rotovizradio at gmail.com and we'll get that set up. A more exciting move in the world of tight ends is Jimmy Graham to Green Bay. He's currently 32, signs a three-year, $30 million contract with the Packers, I think a lot of people are going to be excited about this, expecting a lot of red zone work for Graham, expect his touchdown numbers to remain high. He had 10 in 2017. That a realistic expectation with him now receiving passes from Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, I think it's it's possible. I mean, he's not going to be a yardage accumulator at all, which is really disappointing. And I think um, it's, you know, you live by the sword or die by the sword with tight ends. And so if he's not getting those touchdowns, you're basically getting nothing from him. So he's not a, a Jordan Reed or Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz type of guy who uh, accumulates yards. He basically is red zone only. And I mean, so it's a bad situation in that regard, in that you are just hoping on a random event actually occurring. Uh, the good news is that it's a little less random with him because Jordy Nelson is gone and Nelson really was the red zone target mm -hmm. that they used. And it's also a, a positive situation in that relative to the yards that he accumulates, 
Rodgers actually throws a lot of touchdowns. Like they they don't run the ball as much in the red zone as other teams. Like they rely on Rodgers to punch it in. Uh, and so he is going to be looking, presumably, if the past is you know predictive of what we might see this year, he is going to be looking for a red zone target. Uh, you know, Devonte Adams is a good red zone target. He will get some of those, uh, those opportunities that used to go to Jordy Nelson, but there's still enough of them around for Jimmy Graham to, uh, I think to have substantial opportunities. So I think 10 touchdowns is kind of in that wheelhouse, but I think that's probably close to his ceiling. I think more like eight to 11 is probably like the correct range. Right. And I think that it's worth mentioning though that might make you feel like he's touchdown dependent. Perhaps he is, but at the tight end position, I don't know if that's really, you know, that bad of a situation, especially when you're playing in a good offense with an very, very elite quarterback. Because for a lot of the tight ends that you're going to be drafting, they're not going to get the targets that some of those receivers you see will. And touchdowns are a significant portion of their game. You alluded to Devontae Adams. If you look at other players, I mean, Geronimo Allison uh, in these young receivers, Jamon Moore, Equiminia St. Brown, Marquez, Valdez, Scantling, Scantling. Boy, I'm struggling with some of these rookie names, man. But anyways, I don't think any of those guys look like players that are going to take away from the red zone opportunity that he has replacing in Jordy Nelson. So you okay with somebody uh, drafting Graham maybe as the sixth tight end off the board? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that tier from like six to 10 is kind of fluid, you know? So yeah, so if they prefer him over someone else in that range, I think it's fine. Okay. I I definitely can on board, can get on board with that. What about Trey Burden? I think there's going to be people that hear about him taking over this Travis Kelsey role in the new look Chicago Bears offense, getting really excited about him. Saw a couple of big games from him in Philadelphia. Do you think that Burden has that <laughs> talent to excel somewhere else, or was that just being the beneficiary of a really great uh, situation? Oh man. So, uh, I think he's a candidate to be overdrafted, but he is intriguing in that whenever he was the injury, the injury fill in for Zach Ertz, he did have pretty good production. Um, but you know, going to a new system, it's, it's very possible that the system doesn't work all that well. It's possible that it doesn't work well with Trubisky. It's possible Trubisky just doesn't develop. It's possible that all of the work goes to Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller uh, and, you know, maybe a little bit of, uh, I don't know, who else is there? I mean, like, it's just possible, like Taylor Gabriel, it's just yeah. possible that, like, some of the work goes to people other than Trey Burton and he ends up kind of being like, I don't know, like uh, the equivalent of a tight end that we normally see in like a Bruce Arians offense. Like it's just it's possible that he doesn't get the usage that lots of people think he will. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Uh, It kind of feels like on a much smaller scale, what happened when we saw Kobe Fleener go to the Saints a couple years before, you wanted to just assume because of that situation and looking the players around that they're guaranteed to take on this kind of role. Slightly different thing in that we knew what you could expect from the Saints, but my ultimate point is it's going to be very easy here to overdraft Trey Burden, and at the very least, if you want to take him as your top tight end, that's fine, but I'd only be doing that if you have 
all of your other needs addressed on your roster. Eric, I mean, it's, oh, sorry, it's, go not, ahead. it's not even it's not even locked in that he is the best tight end on his team. Deion Sims like, is he, good. Like, well, he, not good, he might, but for that range, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, he might be the best tight end on the team, and he's probably the guy that they want to to perform and to be the starter. But like Adam Shaheen was a second round pick mm-hmm. and he was like a, a fantastic player in college. Like it's very possible that Burton could be overtaken by someone else on the depth chart. Absolutely. Interesting pairing though, that I want to get to now, Eric Ebron goes to the Colts. Obviously a higher drafted tight end coming out of school. There was a lot of excitement about him has been okay I think a lot of people are going to want to get excited about him thinking that he could be better than Jack Doyle in Indy. Of course, you could have a tumultuous situation if Andrew Luck is not able to play. The team has to stick with Jacoby Brissett. They're much to be excited about with Eric Ebron. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there is. I mean, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't know. It's, I'm not an I'm not an Ebron apologist. Yeah. But I think he's he's been um, not as horrible as people think he has been. Mm-hmm. Like he has he hasn't been great. But remember, like he entered the league as a 21 year old tight end. I don't know if they were ever really using him correctly in Detroit. Um, and I, you know, I think maybe he got punished a little too severely for drop issues. Like drops happen. Like I think they're fairly insignificant. Um, but more to the point of what could happen in Indianapolis, I think, you know, that Andrew Luck is going to return this year, although who knows, but in terms of the wide receivers they have there, it's T Y Hilton. And that's basically it. You're not afraid of Chester Rogers. No, I'm not afraid of Chester Rogers okay. or, uh, you know, Ryan Grant, uh, you know, Darius Fountain. Like it's there's really nothing significant there. Uh, so Ebron, I think, does have a chance for them to use two tight end sets and for him basically to be functioning as a big bodied slot receiver. I think he has the opportunity. So who do you draft first out of out of the Ebron Doyle pairing? Oh, Doyle. Doyle, right. <laughs> Doyle, yeah. Okay. Doyle, yeah, Doyle, Doyle. Yeah. Easy. But, I think that you know, Ebron's, if, yeah. if, you know, he's. you certainly can draft him. I do think that there's some potential there, especially because if you, you know, as you mentioned with that depth chart, there's nobody that scares me. Ebron actually has, at points, strung together uh, some decent games and actually did go for 12 points per game in 2016, dropped down to 9 and 17. Uh, so the potential is there. So obviously, you're not going to be drafting him as your starter. Jack Doyle, though, is he still a guy that we should be viewing as a tight end one from fantasy perspective? Yeah, I think low end tight end one. But the difference between like the low end tight end one and like even like the low end tight end two, like, you know, week to week really isn't all that big. So, you know, yeah, he's he's a low end tight end one. But like, I, I don't really know what that means. Like, it wouldn't be surprising. Well, it maybe would. Be, but by the end of the season, if Eric Ebron actually outproduced him or like someone else drafted 10 spots lower in, in the tight end group, it wouldn't be surprising if, if some of those guys outproduced him. Right. Not that I'm obsessed with with, with the situation here, but I got to ask, is Jack Doyle even that good? Is he talented compared to Ebron or has he just been a body there and somebody needed to produce for uh, the Colts? 
Uh, I think largely just he was a body that happened to be there. Like, he's probably a fine player. Um, yeah, I mean, I say that, but, like, I don't really know. I mean, I think a lot of it was just they needed to throw the ball to someone. He was running a lot of routes pretty close to the line of scrimmage. Like, his A dot was embarrassingly low last year. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like almost like handoff level type oh of Oh, my gosh. Low. It was 4.8. Yeah. Like, he was basically just, like, a security blanket there, like, to use the cliche that's overused. But, you know, like, they were basically just like, oh, we need to get rid of the ball right now. And Doyle basically took a step and turned around, and I'm just going to throw it to him. So, like, I don't know if there's anything that's super talented there. Uh, it, it wouldn't be surprising if Ebron overpassed him uh, or if, you know, someone else drafted after Doyle ended up outproducing him on the season. I don't think all that ha- all that Doyle really has going for him is that uh, he's on that depth chart and Andrew Luck is throwing him the ball. Yeah. Well, when we sat down to record this, I was not planning on talking about Jack Doyle that much, but I've become very interested in him since we started talking. Look at this stat line. 103 targets last season, 76 receptions, 652 yards, 322 of which came after the catch. That is something that I would not have expected from him near Nearly half of his yardage came after the catch. Only three touchdowns, though. So it's interesting now if he's got a split work. Of course, you have Brissett there. So it's kind of hard to say, you know, what if Ebron starts taking away from those touchdowns as well. But I think that we've discussed the Indianapolis Colts uh, tight end situation in enough depth. Any closing comments from you on some of the players that we've talked about uh, or just, you know, free agency in general? Uh, you know, so a couple players we haven't mentioned, uh, who are yet to land mm-hmm. <laughs> Brandon Marshall, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sort of joking about him, Brandon but, Marshall. but the, the guy who, who potentially could replace him in New York, Des Bryant, yep. you know, that was mentioned as a potential landing spot. Des Bryant still isn't with a team. I will be really curious to see where he lands. There's a lot of news that teams really aren't interested in him. Uh, you know, maybe because of locker room issues, maybe just because of declining talent, but I think there is still some talent there. So I will be curious to see where he signs and uh, for how much. Yeah, me too. And I'm hoping we get to talk about that on a future episode. I guess my closing comment on Bryant would be, I feel like he's the type of guy, even if the talent has gone and decreased, there are some things that he can do controlling his body, boxing guys out that in the right offense definitely would make him usable and he still could return some fantasy value. So hopefully we get to talk about that on a future episode. That is going to do it for today's version of Rotoviz Radio. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me at Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. My co-host was the Oracle of Iowa, Mr. Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at Matt F the Oracle. This has been Roto Riz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and be sure to tune in next week. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.